Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're going to welcome Kennedy Phillips, an audio engineer, a sound designer, and an all-around great guy. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Kennedy Phillips. How are you doing this fine morning, sir? It is a very early morning, but I'm doing quite well, despite the circumstances. It's good to meet you. Uh, it's good to meet you as well. Um, now, you are an audio engineer. Is that your preferred? That is, that is correct. Um, I, I usually joke around and say that I bank pots together for a living. Um, I am in charge of uh, the stage of a film's production mm-hmm. where I'll take uh, all of the edited footage that has been processed and, and like put into a movie format and start adding sound effects because usually they're not added until after the fact. So uh, there's a lot of Foley editing there as well. Yeah, uh, I've I've done Foley for um, tons of feature films. And uh, what I specialize in is sound design of uh, very high concept uh, ideas, like for sci-fi, for fantasy, for lots of other things. I'm usually the one that comes up with the crazier ideas. So when... For example, when Luke Skywalker pulls out his lightsaber and the little vroom sound, you're the one who figures <laughs> yeah. out how to make the vroom. Yeah, I'm usually the one that comes up with that kind of thing. Um, a feature-length movie that I worked on recently, um, it hasn't been released yet, uh, but I was in charge of this um, this this creature uh, that was based off of an old uh, Aztec myth where i had to come up with ideas of of how she presents herself where she comes in and like steals children um and i actually had uh gotten these like little aztec death whistles to indicate her coming because they're these uh, little whistles that when you blow into them they they screech this mm-hmm. horrible noise how much cereal did you have to eat to get those how much, how much what? <laughs> I just how much cereal did you have to eat to get those? <laughs> oh, I mean, if you want me to be honest, uh, they came in my uh, they came in my box of cocoa puffs that I've kept in since uh, 1997. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat cocoa puffs anymore, if it's any indication. <laughs> it's just funny that the, it's always the simplest, most mundane objects that use the right way make the best sounds for whatever you're doing. Oh yeah. Yeah, like uh, one uh, sound effect that I use a lot, uh, that I end up using and playing with a lot, is um, a uh, meditation bowl. Um, When I was at the Ren Fair about two years back, um, I found this, this, this large meditation bowl, and I was so enamored by it, not because of, like, its design or anything like that, though it was a gorgeous uh, piece of pottery, but it was the sound that it made. It was larger than any other meditation bowl that I had come across. And when I, I held it in my palm like this and I started to let it resonate, it was louder than any other uh, meditation bowl I'd ever heard. So I got I got my hands on it. Now every now and again, I'll use it for tons of things. And just sometimes even just as a layer. Sure. The reason I think about, you know, audio engineer, sound designer, these titles, because even though I work in podcasting, audio is not one of my top five talents in life. I I know what I need to know, 
but I have a great admiration for the way your mind is working on these things. Well, thanks. Uh, sound design is not a very um, thought of profession. And the, the sad thing is, is that uh, the same could be said within the film industry itself. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually kind of a running gag that like sound is like the least thought of mm-hmm. thing on a set. It's like your your job title could just be summed up as we'll fix it in post because you're one of those people. And usually they're, they're right about that. Um, everything from like bad dialogue to background noise to everything like to everything in between can be just assumed that, yeah, you could just fix it in post. OK, so uh, let's let, entirely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just really have some fun here. Um I've had several guests on the show from the movie Manos, the Hands of Fate. Are you familiar? Yeah. Um, I've I've never gotten a chance to see it myself, but I am okay. familiar with it. All right. Just, just kind of wondering, because it's all the sound was added in post. There was no actual sound captured live on the set. So, yeah, I really wanted to see that look on your face. I, I believe it. It's... it's um... If you want me to be honest, it's not too far from what I do in animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I where where my claim to fame is is that I'm the I'm the sound designer for uh, Has Been Hotel mm-hmm. and uh, the pilot for Hell of a Boss, and now I'm one of the sound engineers on Hell of a Boss. And a big thing about animation is that none of the audio has an original source. You have the voice actors recording in a studio and then they just hand it off to you and then you build everything else. Now, uh, there's a lot of fidelity that can be excused because it's not live action and you're not needing to like get all the clothing rustle and all of those things because you want to focus on the uh, what's happening on the screen in the forefront rather than like every little detail that you would come to expect in live action. But the fun thing about animation is that you can get away with a lot more. Um, I was actually making, I was actually uh, working on a recent episode where I run into this, this succubus character who has these like really sharp high heels. And the thought had occurred to me, well, maybe instead of high heels that I can just make her, you know, doing her uh, footsteps, what if I used swords? And I had her walking on swords. It was not realistic, but she stood out more. Mm hmm. It's it's little things like that that um, make uh, sound designing for animation a lot of fun. And, you know, a succubus wearing high heels, I would assume they have to match the outfit. <laughs> to a point. Um, a lot of it comes down to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, one of the characters in Has Been Hotel, uh, her name is Nifty. She's this little, like insect uh girl who runs around and cleans up things and uh she's got like a poodle skirt on and she's got like these two little sticks for legs and uh she's really cute but 
all of her design is based off of like the scuttling of beetles and also like the scratching of like a vinyl record. Um, because of just how, how quickly she's moving back and forth. And like, there's nothing in her that indicates that she would sound like a vinyl record, but, uh, with the poodle skirt, she's a, a product of the fifties and vinyl records were really big at that time. Mm -hmm. So integrating that into her sound design made for a much more impactful, uh, impression when you uh -huh. first meet her. Because a lot of times in sound design, it's not it's not what you're specifically listening to, but it's the feeling that impacts you when you get to it, when you when you when you hear it. Um, it's sort of like um, trying to think of a good one, the T Rex from Jurassic Park. You might not think that like the 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 T Rex's sound design is anything that anybody really pays attention to aside aside from the roar but even the 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 footsteps the rumbling when you hear that footstep you you immediately associate it with that T-Rex because you don't see them but you feel it because it it shakes your chest and that's really cool <laughs> it is and i i'd love things like audio drama and you're getting into a wheelhouse, and I love how you talk about the interpretation. You're getting into this mindset that I don't think we give a lot of respect to today, because in some ways it's kind of like a, a more old-fashioned, you know, no video, no visual type of, 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 of performance. But I really dig the theater of the mind aspect of what you're talking about. Uh, man, I, I have a story that I love to share about the first time that I discovered audio dramas. Now, um... I, I was properly awakened to it in, in college when a friend of mine introduced me to a parody of Doctor Who made by the um, voice actor who plays the Daleks. Um, I think it was Graham Duff. Um, I, it's, it's eluding me at the moment. But the first time that I had heard an audio drama, I was in, I was in elementary school. It was about first grade. And my teacher had a large cardboard box with glow-in-the-dark stickers attached to it and a, and a nice curtain. It was this homemade little thing. We walk inside, and the glow-in-the-dark stickers would illuminate and give you what little light you need in there. And there was a little tape recorder. You press the tape recorder, and it was hooked up to some speakers in the room, and it simulated you taking off into space cool. and you landing on the moon and you walk around the moon for a little while. And what I loved about it was that I didn't need a visual. I didn't need any tactile sensations. All I needed was the sound. And when you closed your eyes, you were enveloped in it. Something that few people really get the chance to dive into is how our understanding of the auditory dimension can help dictate and define details that we usually don't think about but we fill in and that's truly a magical experience it is uh and 
you're giving it a lot of credit. I'm just sitting here thinking that that's one of the reasons that even though I like audio drama, I really can't just plug one in like I plug in a podcast and go about and do the laundry, mow the yard, because you need that focus. You need that that mental attention to the details. Even if you're not focusing on everything, you need to be able to soak it up. Yeah, that's that's one thing about um, Magus Elgar that I was very happy about, which was there are several layers of listening to an audio drama that I've I've come to identify, and that is there's there's people that are just listening to it in their car. There's there's people who are just listening it on their phone while they're jogging, and then there are people who like sit down and really engross themselves in the experience. And Megas Elgar has so much sound design and so much detail that if you just want to listen to it casually, it's a bunch of people making British or quasi British puns at each other for five and a half hours. But if you really want to sit down and envelop yourself, you can hear them moving around in the space. You can enjoy like the various types of sound design development that we've put into it. Like I put a ridiculous amount of sound design in Mega Zelgar. And, and Mega Zelgar is, is an audio drama that you were a part of. There's, there's several uh, releases of it on the web and the web. Yeah, uh, Megas Elgar is a, a fantasy comedy that I wrote, directed, and sound designed um, about two magicians working together with two scientists to fix magical anomalies they accidentally caused. Um, if you're a fan of Terry Pratchett's Discworld, if you're a fan of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if you're a fan of um, Lord of the Rings as written by Monty Python, you'll get a kick out of this. I, I, that's all high praise for it. I, I listened to a couple samples just to kind of get a taste for it. I would like to sit back and just really enjoy the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I think the pedigree is great because everything you mentioned, especially Hitchhiker, comes from a place where the, there's a solid audio version of it. Yeah. Um, what's great is that we, uh, Megas Elgar had been nominated for Best Original Work by the Audio Publishers Association of America when it first came out. Um, and now you can listen to it anywhere. It's on it's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's available wherever audiobooks are sold, wherever pods are cast. <laughs> Indeed. I, now, can I share just for a minute the first time I really discovered audio drama? Because it's yeah, absolutely. I'd love based on yeah, what you're hearing will. Okay, I was on a road trip when I was ten years old, maybe eleven. And this was the mid '90s, so CDs were really hitting the mainstream at that point. Uh, we didn't mm-hmm. have a CD player. Uh, there was no real internet for the average person. I'm on this almost month-long road trip going from Pennsylvania in a big loop around the United States on back, and we keep stopping at these like truck stops and Cracker Barrels where they have the little racks of cassettes and stuff and i i'm a superman fan i'm a comic book fan and i'm digging anything with comic books and i keep seeing everywhere i go this cassette of old superman radio serials oh those are fun they are and i i look at this and i keep seeing this over and over again and i can't talk my parents into getting it for me for whatever reason like i just keep seeing it for three weeks 
all around the country and it's teasing me. And the day before we actually get back home, my parents finally relented. I get the cassette, I put it in, and I'm amazed at how well it's put together at how clearly somebody who's used to Christopher Reeve and George Reeves and the animated series, well, that wasn't out at that point, but there were animated Superman cartoons, can dig this because even though it's it's only half the experience, it's it it feels like a whole experience. And then I get to the end of the tape and I realize that tape is part one of two. Oh, it didn't flip over, did it? It No, that the whole oh both sides God. of that tape were only half of the story. And to this oh. day, I've never found the other half. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I think there are copies of it out there somewhere on the Internet, but that. Yeah, that's that's been a, and I think you may be the first person to actually understand that pain. Well, like imagine, imagine like like so many people have grown up with this. You know, there's a lot of people now where they 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 will never understand that feeling for a long time because with Netflix and all that stuff, the whole season is right is built out right from the start. Mm-hmm. But like makes me think of a lot of shows where it I, I where where just it, it ends on a cliffhanger and then never gets renewed uh, i just played a video game recently with my roommate uh called psyops the mind gate conspiracy which is a delightfully strange game where you play as like this man this this generic white man egg for a head nick scryer going up against a uh a a psychic conspiracy and the game ends on a to be continued and never gets renewed. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so frustrating, but like, um, I, um, for me, like that, that old, old timey radio show was the green Hornet, which much to my surprise, when I found that Michelle Gondry made a, a green Hornet uh, movie, I was excited, and then I found out that Seth Green, uh, Seth Rogen was the lead actor, and I go, that's that's a choice. <laughs> I like Seth Rogen. I I have nothing against the guy, but oh, no, don't get me wrong. He's a he 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 can be great when when uh, executed properly. Uh huh. But for this, it didn't work for me. No. And I have the same feeling because I'm a big Star Trek guy, as anybody who knows this podcast will will attest to. Um, and people talk about Star Trek Into Darkness and how they didn't like it. I, I kind of like the movie. I dig it. But as a guy who thinks Khan is a great character and a guy who thinks Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor, I don't see Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. It's just... No. It, I'm I'm going to say something that is going to revoke my Trekkie uh, card. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite uh, Star Trek anything is not a very popular thing. To That's be okay. That's okay. Um, this is especially problematic because my one of my uh, clients. Uh, uh, Daniel Orrit, who is the director of Space Dock, um, this this phenomenal YouTube series about breaking down uh, uh, spaceships in science fiction, and the director of uh, The Sojourn, which is a sci-fi audio drama that I am 
the entire sound team for um gives me a lot of gives me a little bit of flack for my favorite uh star trek anything is star trek voyager and hear me out i'm gonna hear you out the entire reason why i like star trek voyager is for incredibly biased reasons when i was about seven years old i lived on a sailboat with my parents and we joined the 1997 expo around the world rally where we sailed around the world this is awesome and the first time that i was exposed to star trek voyager i was halfway around the world away from home with no no uh guarantee that we were going to get back in one piece and here's this show about a a handful of people trapped on the other side of the galaxy trying to do the same that is awesome star trek voyager is definitely not a an amazing show but as someone who is exposed to it for the first time to star trek proper the first time there since most of my exposure to like sci-fi was like star wars at the time going into star trek voyager at my age where i was like i was the seven um and being on the other side of the planet it stuck with me and a lot of the stories that they talked about about survival about um still having that itch to explore when you're that far away and so many other things it, they they stuck with me so you that I mean that you live that life and that's something i don't say lightly because one of the things i love about science fiction in general star trek in particular is that w we grab onto it because we see our life in there as bizarre as it seems to relate to another planet another species you see that it's like okay that's where i am right now mm -hmm. and yeah uh, people will give me grief for not trashing voyager every chance i get but i i went through that phase i'm past that now um no i mean don't don't get me wrong don't get me wrong voyager deserves a lot of flack it does. It still has by far the worst episode of any Star Trek thing in existence. The pink iguanas. Where, I yeah, the, the weird catfish episode where, mm -hmm. like, Janeway and Tom Paris transform into catfish because they went to Warp 10. <laughs> but it was an episode so bad, like, the producer, it was like, I think it was Rick Berman in, like, an interview said, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I have no excuse. <laughs> Here's, because I have done a couple rewatches of it since it first came out. And, you know, I, I love all Trek, so I don't, I don't hate on it. But here's what made it okay for me, is that I sat down and I finally realized that the things about Voyager I really didn't care for were the things that, were infused on it from outside the production staff itself. They were a lot of them were elements they couldn't control. And once I got that into my head, it's like, 
okay. It's it's not perfect, but it's the product of the situation. And when I accept that, I start to have a lot of fun with the show. It's the 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 producer's mentality. This sucks. Change it. And also the fact that it was on UPN, mm-hmm. which wasn't exactly a sci-fi friendly channel. <laughs> it wasn't a sci-fi friendly channel, and yet the only show they had that made money was their big sci-fi flagship show. So they had a split personality about: Do we promote the thing that's actually paying our bills, or do we try to get our own stuff going? And they could never make up their minds on that. Now, um, funny enough, my favorite episode of Star Trek Voyager is is not a commonly uh, beloved one because there's like a lot of the people think about like the the two parters, the 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 big episodes, like the episode where they introduce Seven of Nine, mm-hmm. and a couple others, and or like a Doctor episode, which yeah, I mean those are fantastic and there are definitely objective best episodes <laughs> in Voyager, but. My personal favorite is, again, one that hit really close to home. And it's an episode called Night. Mm-hmm. The episode yep. is about, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, the episode is about Voyager coming across a particular section of the galaxy where there are no stars. There are no celestial bodies. There are no stellar phenomena. And they spend months in this section of the galaxy with the intention that it might take them years to get through it. And it's like being becalmed in the middle of the ocean. And all they can do is try to stave off boredom. They run on low power. They do things to pass the time. And everybody is running at low capacity and they start thinking about all of their mistakes. They start thinking about what they're going to do with themselves. And one of my favorite moments in it is um, Harry Kim is on is on the bridge. And he's playing an instrument. If I recall, I think it was a clarinet. It's been so long, but just uh, the the resident Vulcan Tuvok comes on and he just listens. They're they're not in any danger. They're not in any. There's no urgency or anything like that. They just have this quiet moment of coming to terms with just how alone they are hit me really hard because I've been becalmed in the middle of the ocean before the water becomes akin to glass. There's no ripples. There's no waves. There's no like, uh, crests of bubbles on the top. It's just you and two shades of blue that are indiscernible from one another and nothing else and it's a it's one of the most harrowing experiences that didn't involve direct danger in my life that still resonates with me wow because 
for a full, for like a week, we were becalmed. And even just that short amount of time, you start to wonder what is reality and start questioning everything about yourself. Because if you look outside and you only see blue on blue, it messes with you. Because we are not built to process that kind of visual on a regular basis. We don't, our brains don't work that way. We're used to seeing terrain. We're used to seeing change. We don't see constant, some, nothing for ages and ages. Hi, Kat. How you doing? Yeah, she's, <laughs> say hi. I, I remember, and this is not even close to the same thing, but I, I will just say that I, I, I grok what you're coming at here. Um, there was a time I, I must have been very tired. I fell into an extremely deep sleep. And when I woke up, somehow I had rolled over onto my stomach with my nose almost to the wall. And it was a plain white wall. And I, I got woke up and I'm very nearsighted. So if I don't have my glasses on, I'm, I'm lost. All I could do, no matter where I turned my head, was see white after white after white after white. I couldn't see anything. And oh, that geez. that melted my brain until I realized, oh, I'm just looking at the wall. But... I'd say your brain is just <laughs> you know, not to process that. I, I've got I've got a fun story about that kind of thing though for you. Um, it's it's around the world story. So like uh, one of the things that my my parents had done in their lack of foresight at the time, since they were in their like forties and or like or late 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 thirties, early forties, was they would do watch three hours at a time now to anybody that's not on a boat that doesn't sound like a big deal like three hours on three hours off but that also includes your sleep so you're not what you're 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 you could only sleep for three hours at a time and it drove my parents to the brink of insanity there was a point in the middle of the night where my mom is on watch it's two o'clock in the morning um, the only light that is around is like the moon and the boat. And my mom sees a, a white shape moving erratically here and there, up, down, left, right. It, it does not move like any natural aircraft. And my mom is convinced she's looking at a UFO. So she clamors downstairs, gets my dad who has not slept more than four hours at any given point for the past month, scrambles upstairs, points at this thing to convince him that she's not crazy. He, he squints his eyes, takes a look at it, and looks at my and he looks at my mom and he says, Lee, that's a seagull. It was a seagull that was five feet from the cockpit, moving at the same pace as us, just hovering up and down and just using mm -hmm. us as ballast to keep them so to keep them in the air without needing to like worry about you know still flapping or whatever. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> Well, Kennedy, I had not intended to turn this into a Star Trek story swap, but I am delighted that happened. Just because 
I there's a lot that I want to talk about when it comes to just the story we saw, the story we read, and then what what we saw in there. So what I'd like to do, if it's all right with you, is I'd like to sit down and write a couple notes about stories from my life that are like that. Maybe you could do the same, and we could reconvene at some future date and just kind of swap that back and forth. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I could, I'd love to do that. I mean, I don't have – I'm pretty sure I've got a lot of those kind of stories in my head anyway. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and I know you got a lot going on this week, maybe even this month, so I'm not going to push this on you anytime soon, but that's where I want to take this from here on out. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, okay. I, I talked plenty with um, my, the team over at uh, the Sojourn uh, about Star Trek in general, because a lot of the sound design that I do, they has to like some of it's inspired by Star Trek, some of it's inspired by The Expanse, Battlestar Galactica, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which I highly recommend you give a chance uh, if you're into uh, science fiction and audio dramas. Uh, the Sojourn is about um, a uh, group of uh, human explorers trying to travel to a uh, nebula uh, in search of supplies to help their dwindling resources. And it's it's like a cross between Battlestar Galactica and The Expanse, uh, where they're just struggling to try and find uh, supplies while dealing with a lot of conflict in the past because their their coalition is a group of um colonists from a bunch of different groups that used to be at war with each other um i'm doing all the sound design on it and it's been an absolute blast the first volume is on audible and wherever audiobooks are sold and volume two should be coming out uh sometime this year i'm actually working on episode four right now i'm actually going to be the villain for episode five, which is pretty exciting. Um, they they actually casted me, which uh, I, I do some voice acting every now and again, but I I so rarely get the chance to like be a uh, a villain in a show. I'm going to make sure that all that gets in the show notes on my website, AaronBossig.com. So if somebody wants to find you, they're going to be able to go there. Is there any other social media or personal websites yeah, you'd like um, to throw out? You can find me on Twitter at Magus Serling, M-A-G-U-S-S-E-R-L-I-N-G. Um, you can also find my website at kennedyphillips.org if you want to see like more of the things that I've worked on, because I've worked on cartoons, I've worked on live action stuff. Um, I also have uh, Magus Elgar, which is my flagship show. Uh, that is, uh, MagusElgar.com. You can also find that on Spotify or Apple podcasts or whatnot. If you're into some fun comedy, that's great for all ages. If you want to introduce your kids to audio dramas, uh, Magus Elgar can't steer you wrong. Cause there are no, it's, it's meant for young adults. Um, and if you want to see, uh, evidence of my sound design work that is not for kids uh i recommend looking up has been hotel or hell of a boss on youtube which are completely free and hell of a boss is currently in the middle of a season uh episode three should be coming out sometime within this month uh we've been releasing about an episode a month now awesome well again thank you so much for being here and i would love to have you back and have the rest of this chat Yeah, absolutely. Take good care, buddy.
I would like to thank Kennedy for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, where I give you a status on the podcast and what we can do to make it better, all I'm going to do is say, tune in next time. With the episode 70 coming up, we're going to have some changes to this show, all for the better, and I just want to give you a heads up that that's going to happen. So this would be a good time to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. You can subscribe to it on pretty much any podcasting platform you'd like. We're now on Spotify, but also Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.